thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Thank you, Jacob, for so wonderfully leading us in song as you do each and every single week. Uh, You guys may not be aware of this, but there aren't a bunch of worship leaders just waiting around to be scooped up to help out new churches. And so Jacob is a tremendous blessing uh, to uh, this season, both of our churches. And we just want to say thank you for how you wonderfully lead us each and every week. You guys may not realize this, but behind the scenes, it is actually Jacob, who uh, it's his equipment that we use to record. It's uh, him who takes it home and he edits everything, puts it together, and he makes sure that it is available and online for us by 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And so uh, go ahead and give Jacob a virtual hand clap from your couch wherever you're sitting right now as we just want to say thank you for all the hard work that you do. Uh, I think where, where there's honor due to someone, that we should recognize them. And so thank you for, for that and how you serve both of our churches right now. Uh, we just finished up an excellent series in the book of James last week. And today we're going to do, uh, it's kind of like just a two-week little mini-series, a gap series, so to speak. And we're going to look at two different psalms. And hopefully what we'll see in these psalms is uh, a way to encourage us to look at the character of God in the times that we are facing, in the times we have found ourselves. And then the plan, I know some of you are thinking, how much longer do we have to do this online? I know there's been different questions on churches of our size being able to uh, being some of the first that can be able to gather. And so we're working through that with, with the leadership team and, and those who are making the decisions. I will say there's a tentative plan, uh, more details to come, but hopefully the first Sunday of June, June 7th, we're, we're scheming up maybe doing like a church in the park, an outdoor gathering, uh, most likely Laurelhurst Park, because that's pretty centrally located to everyone who's part of both of our church families. Um, it'll just give us a break from being online. So once again, uh, mark that on your calendar, pencil it in, more details to come. You can pray that it won't rain so that we'll be able to meet up uh, that week and just have a good time of fellowship with one another. And then June 14th, we'll start a brand new uh, book series. Uh, there's two or three that I'm kind of praying through right now and just seeing what is really going to be pertinent and relevant to our churches. Uh, but it's most likely going to be a book that'll take us probably two or three months, similar to James, and uh, we'll be starting that on June 14th. Uh, but for today, we'll be in Psalm 107. Uh, Psalm 107. And in this psalm, uh, we're going to see members of the community call on one another to give thanks to God for his enduring steadfast love, which he has continuously shown his people. Uh, Now, in this particular psalm, what we're going to see is going to be four different accounts. And these different accounts are going to capture pictures of people who are in times of distress. They have found themselves in some form of trouble. Now, what we'll learn is sometimes this is self-inflicted trouble. It's, It's some action that they took that led to the trouble they're facing. And other times it was completely out of their control, but all of a sudden they found themselves in a really trialing time. And what we'll see in every single instance is that God comes through and God delivers them. And so I've actually titled the sermon, Deliverance in Times of Trouble. And so maybe this morning you think, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in a time of trouble. Maybe it's a family crisis, or maybe it's just amidst that, that COVID-19 and just the stress and anxiety and all that adds. And so hopefully you'll see this morning that God is your deliverance with whatever it is you are facing. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll turn to a portion of scripture and you might easily think, how does this relate to me today? That was written years ago. But all you need for this passage to relate to you today is some type of problem in your life, some type of trouble in your life. It may be something small, maybe something big. And so do you have problems this morning? 
If you have something that is troubling your spirit and your soul, then this passage is for you. This passage from Psalm 107 is for you. And so the main point of our sermon this morning is that God's steadfast love, and we're going to really see that theme of a steadfast love, this idea of his enduring kindness to his people, and then we see his willingness to deliver us in the midst of our trying and troubled times. Just think that we have a good, good father who doesn't want us to stay in the times of trouble where we have found ourselves. And so we're going to see this theme recur over and over again throughout these 43 verses. Yes, I just said 43 verses. Um, in case that, that scares you and you think, man, this is going to be like a two-hour sermon, we're going to take a pretty high-level view. So we're not going to get extremely deep this morning. Uh, so our time should be about the same as it is normally. So don't get too scared about the 43 verses. But we will see that, that theme recur over and over again. Now, the focus of this psalm is on the restoration of the exiles, but the individuals, members, and then just the community as a whole, as they come in, they receive the benefits of deliverance through God's steadfast love. And that centerpiece of this psalm is, is those four pictures I mentioned a few moments ago, where, where we've had these four different characters, these humans who find themselves in different circumstances and predicaments, and they cry out to God, and we see God deliver them through divine intervention. And so in these four pictures, what we're going to observe is God's intervention in the midst of trials as an answer to prayer. So go ahead now and look at Psalm 107. We'll jump in at verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And so the opening section of this psalm, it states the purpose. The purpose is to call on the people. It says, call the people to give thanks to the Lord. And so this morning, I would say even for us, the purpose is to call on us to give thanks to the Lord. And then we see this theme of his steadfast love that is going to endure forever. Now, the specific occasion is that God has redeemed his people by rescuing them from the troubled, and then he's gathered them back together. Now, if you study this, these exiles have been sent away. And you might wonder why they've been sent away. They've been sent away actually at their own doing because of their sin. But then we see the psalmist is telling us the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord. So even though their sin, it drove them away into exile. We see that God has this kindness and this goodness, and he calls them back to himself, and he gathers them together as they cry out to him. So what does this show us today? What, is, what does this show us this morning? How is this relevant to your life and to our lives as the church, the goodness of the Lord and the steadfastness of the Lord, sometimes steadfastness, also that word patience, is what actually leads us to call on him in the midst of financial troubles. Maybe some of you are dealing with financial troubles this morning. Maybe you lost your job and you haven't got that unemployment check that you were promised. I know some people are still looking for their stimulus check. Or maybe you're, you're dealing with relationship problems this morning. Maybe it's you and a spouse, or maybe it's you and a roommate, or you and a sibling, you just can't get along. Or maybe the challenges of, of parenting. And I kind of have to chuckle at that one because this week, it just seems of all weeks, has been extremely stressful. I think just Zoom classrooms and Google Meets and all these things are just catching up to us. And as both Andre and I are trying to do different work and responsibility ourselves and then trying to manage homeschooling that we did not sign up for. Or maybe it's, it's sickness that someone's dealing with. Or, or maybe it's a death that has happened recently in your family. Or maybe someone you know is is going through a sickness that is leading them towards death. Maybe it's just stress, just the stress of life and what it is that you're having to face right now in this moment. 
Or maybe it's trying to buy a house in the midst of a pandemic. I think most of you know that that's, that's what my wife and, and my family, what we're trying to do right now. Maybe it's just the trouble that's caused by your own sin and some foolish decisions that you have taken. Maybe there's some form of, of violence that you've been, or, or danger that you've been, come across. And so I would say this is very relevant to us today, that we, we can all relate to something on that spectrum of having something troubling or a problem that's happening in our life. And then most of all, what this should remind us is that we are to cry out to God for repentance and trusting that he will bring us back to himself. And so be reminded this morning, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, that you have absolutely nothing to do with the circumstances and nothing to do that, that you were this, this good and patient person that, that the Lord just wanted you. But it was God's kindness who looked upon you in your time of need, where you found yourself wallowing in your own filth, in your own shame and sin. And God, when you cried out to him, had mercy on you and grace. And so let me encourage you, if you're not a Christian this morning, you may be a little confused. I'm not even sure what you're talking about, but I can relate to the problem thing. I've got some problems. You know, we can kind of meet there at, at that, that middle point. Let me encourage you this morning, if that's you and you don't know Jesus and you're just saying you're not sure if you're a Christian, cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Try it this morning. Join those around you who have done this already and, and cry out to the Lord. I believe you'll be surprised. Now here in the context, we see that God had redeemed his people from their enemy. And their enemy at this time was Egypt. And they returned from exile. It's almost like a second exodus. And this exodus, what it does for us is it's a foreshadow of our gospel freedom and salvation. It says, those who have been redeemed by the Lord receive salvation and they were delivered from their trouble. And they express it by sharing it with others. In other words, this morning, if you have been rescued from the curse of sin and death itself, then you should want to share it. This should be the overflow of your heart. We often call this modern-day evangelism. And I'd argue it's much more than just about one salvation. Sometimes you hear evangelism, you think, I know, I'm supposed to go like a marketing scheme and convince everyone why they need Jesus. There is a, a part of that, but what this is saying, it's an actual way of life. It's about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. You've heard this phrase before. What does it look like to be in Portland as it is in heaven? That we should want to just share the excitement of our hearts as, as we have been delivered. We've been delivered from death itself, from our own selves, from our sin, that we should want to share that with others so that they can also find that freedom. I remember hearing a, a very well-known atheist, so well-known that I don't remember his name because this was a number of years ago, but he, he said something to the extent that if Christians really believe this thing they claim to believe, for them to then not share that with those around them and, and the world around them would actually make them the most hateful people of all. He's right. He's completely right. If we actually believe the message that we claim to believe, then, then we would be the most hateful people because we know where true freedom comes from. We know the answer to life's problems. We know where we can find deliverance in the times of troubles. And so not to share that with those around us, we would be the most hateful people of all if we actually believe this message. And that's why I know we found ourselves in what many consider one of the, the atheist capitals of the U.S., that we should be willingly sharing this, especially in this time of this pandemic where I feel like people are a little more open, a little more sensitive to, to why is it, yes, you're dealing with stress and anxiety and fear and all of those things too, but you have this peace and you have this, this, this rest and just, it's a different posture than my family. Explain that to me. Why is that? And then verse 3 suggests the ways in which the people have been scattered. It says they were scattered from east to west, from north to south. But what we're really seeing is a bit of a foretaste to the day the Lord gathers all of his people. It reminds us of this in Revelation 7, 9. 
where it says, There will be a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation, bring, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now in the rest of the psalm, what we're going to see, what we're going to unpack just real briefly, is those four pictures of people that God comes in and rescues. And so the first group of those people are those who wandered in barren places. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Verses 4 through 9, which we're going to jump into. It's, it's that first group, those who wandered in barren places. Verse 4 says, So some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So here we have the very first group who were banished from the land as a result of the exile. And it says that some of these exiles wandered in the desert, and they found no city to dwell in. So here we find a group of people who were lost, they were hungry, they were exhausted, and they found themselves isolated because they did not have a city. They didn't have a place to call home. Their proper home was the promised land, but God had sent them away because of the rebellion. And so what we see is they cry out to the Lord, God delivers them, and then God brings them back to a city to dwell in. And so we see that cities can be actually really good places for human, uh, humans to thrive. This is one reason I love cities. I love an urban environment. This is one reason I love living in the city of Portland. I hope you do as well. And just as these people, we are to exist for the city where God has called us. We are to exist for the city where we dwell. And at the deepest level, what this means, what these, what these wandering, barren people, what it's showing us is that their deepest need is for Jesus. Jesus who can heal our spiritual lostness, Jesus who can remove our spiritual hunger, Jesus who gives us rest for our spiritual exhaustion, and Jesus who will end our loneliness through his body, the church, and where he's provided this community to rally around us. And so the good news for us, and our brother James hit on this last week, is that for those of us who wonder, and remember, we kind of left, left James saying, that, that's almost normative. We're going we're gonna to see people in our churches that we're going to wonder, but the good news is that God restores if we call on him in our time of trouble. Now, your time of trouble this morning, it may not be wondering spiritually. You may be thinking, Matt, I don't know if I've ever had a time where I've really done that. But you may be troubled about the future. You may be troubled right now about your life. You may be troubled about what does a life look like post-pandemic, post-COVID-19. I think the further we get into this thing, it's kind of weird. We're like slowly seeing things reopen, yet then there's like new restrictions at the same time. And so I think we're all kind of in this limbo right now of being like, what are we actually allowed to do and what are we not allowed to do? And I'm going to be judged by others. And so uh, if you're like me, you find your, your mind just wondering, like, what, what is, is this our new normal? Are we going to be wearing masks from like here on out for the rest of the year and for the next three years? Like, I don't really know. And so maybe you're troubled about some of those things. This has logically caused all kinds of stress and anxiety and, and uncertainty. But even in the midst of this, we are instructed to cry out to the Lord for our guidance. And so the proper response to the deliverance of God, as verse 8 tells us, is to thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Our reaction to the Lord's intervention in our own life should be the same thing. We should thank and praise the Lord for intervening in our lives. We should thank the Lord for his grace and for his steadfast love over our lives, even in the moment 
of this pandemic where we have found ourselves. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I talked to a friend in, in India. Many of you know we used to live over there. And just talking about how has this devastated different villages and different, different slums that were already in very, very poor conditions. And I just had to sit back and think, man, we've, we've got it pretty good in the U.S., even in the midst of a pandemic. Like, I can still go get takeout at a number of restaurants and, and go eat that outside or eat it back at my house. And so even in this, it's, it's kind of a good way to, to at least frame what it is that we are dealing with. And so even to thank God for his grace and steadfast love that the pandemic is probably easier on most of us than it is many of those people around the world. And this section also tells us of the wondrous works of the Lord what he has done for his people and how God satisfies the longing for our souls. So it tells us that God fills us when we are empty, God meets our every need, and God allows us as his people to flourish. And so maybe you feel like you're in need this morning. Maybe you're in trouble. And so let the prayer of your heart be like, God, I know that you can fill me. Please fill me. I'm empty. God, I have needs. Please meet my every need. God, please make it to where I can flourish. And then starting in verse 10, we're going to see this second group. And this is the group that those who sat in darkness. So look at group, uh, verse 10 with me. It says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So they bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the door of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. And so in these verses, it's this, this second group of exiles we see are those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. What is, what is that saying? What does that mean? Here we find people who are guilty. These people have rebelled against the words of God, and they are chained into a dungeon behind iron bars and gates. But even though they rejected God, even though they went against his covenant in their own rebellion, they really chose that, God still heard their cry when, he cried, when they cried out to the Lord in the midst of their trouble. And what does God do? He brings them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. They too should thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And what these verses are representing, in my mind, is the darkness and conscience of our souls. Think about when you find yourself willingly rebelling against God. Does it, does it not cast this dark shadow over your life? Are you not weighed down by the shame and sense of condemnation from which we cannot free ourselves? Have you ever found yourself just, just kind of getting in a, in a rut? You don't even know how to express it or how to describe it? In our response, it should be to cry out to God because God can break every chain. But, but you might say, well, don't we deserve condemnation? I mean, I think these people, we'd also, yeah, they deserve condemnation. Yes, every last one of us, we deserve the punishment that we are due. But God comes in and gives us grace. Think about sin. It enslaves us to ourselves. Sin causes doubt. It causes shame. It causes guilt. And it causes condemnation. Sin causes us to feel like a prisoner, just like these people here. But be reminded that God can break every chain. Because he ultimately bore his own judgment in his son, Jesus. And so my, my, my plea to you today is to cry out to Jesus, no matter your sin, no matter the trial, no matter the trouble you found yourself in, and he will hear you. One of my favorite New Testament stories, and I brought this up probably three or four times in the book of James, probably because I also had read a book about it, is on the prodigal son. I'm convinced, and I may even do a whole series at some point. That's actually one of those I've been thinking about. Maybe for eight weeks we just look at the prodigal son because I'm convinced deep down that every single one of us, we are that son and daughter. That story shows us that, that 
when we hit rock bottom, when we have found ourselves away from our community that God's provided for us, we find ourselves not wanting to, to press into the Lord himself, and then we suddenly cry out to God that he will hear us, and not only will he hear us, he doesn't hear us and turn a, a, a deaf ear, he hears us and he responds. He responds with love, he responds with mercy, and he responds with grace. And so if you are that wanderer today, then, then that is available to you. And so I encourage you to cry out to the Lord in the midst of your wondering. Then the third group, look at verse 17. It says, those who suffered for their own folly. It says, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loved any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. We see that some of these exiles were fools through their own sinful ways. Their own folly, which is also another word for stupidity, brought on their own affliction so that they loathed any kind of even food. However, it shows us that God heard them and he relieved them when they cried out to the Lord. So in this context, like it says he healed them. Now it could be from bodily ailments, but not necessarily. He also healed them by allowing them to return to the promised land. So these people should thank the Lord. This is what the psalm is telling us. Specifically with sacrifices and thanksgivings, using songs of joy to worship to tell of God's good deeds. These people have run their own lives. It was their own doing. They become fools. By the way, when we hear the word fools, I know that if your kids are watching with you this morning, you're looking at them and saying, you do not call your brother a fool. We don't use that language. But when the Bible uses the word fool, it's not, it's, what it's doing, it's not just talking to regular sinners. It's talking about those who have become self, I mean, destructively self-absorbed and self-deceived. The picture that we get is not of, it's someone who, who has damaged their life. They've damaged their life spiritually. They've damaged their life physically through foolish, self-indulgent lifestyle decisions and addictions. And so we all sin. I'd argue that we all sin daily. We just may be aware, may not be aware of it. But what this sin is describing, it's someone who falls into a lifestyle of sin. It's not the occasional lie. Lying is sin. I get it. Sin is all equal. But this is saying that there's sin that is just causing you to destruct, self-destruct. And so this, this is talking about where you, you get to a pattern. It may start small, but then it builds upon each other. And you get to this pattern where you eventually find yourself trapped. And you, you don't know how to get out. It's almost like you're in a prison cell because of your own decisions and choices that you continue to take. I think about our friends at the harbor. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the harbor, it's, it's connected to the Portland Rescue Mission. And, I, and I'm not picking on those guys. Those guys are not shy about their stories. One of the things I love about volunteering at the harbor is they want to sit down and share their story with you. That's part of their recovery process. And I remember not maybe a few months ago, a guy in tears, as he told me, part of his story was that he'd gotten to his wit's end. And he said, that's it. I, I, I'm done. I've been in jail. Um, he'd actually murdered a guy, and he'd been addicted to drugs. I'm just, I'm over it. He poured gasoline all over his body, and he lit his last cigarette. He anticipated getting a few puffs, getting that, that, that last little high on the cigarette, and then just, just going into disintegrating the flames. Well, he smokes his whole cigarette, and he's still standing there. And so what does he do in that moment? He calls out to the Lord and just says, God, I need help. And he got in touch with a, a Christian counselor who he had formerly done some work with. And the guy said, just, just sit in your car, sleep it off, and then drive to my office if you're still alive in the morning and then you wake up. 
And this guy, that's exactly what he did. And then a couple months later, I meet him. And he is at the Portland Rescue Mission enrolled in their discipleship and rehabilitation journey. And so we see that, that this is a good picture. That This guy, he would tell you, if he was here this morning, if I was able to bring notes, he would say, this were my own self-destructive choices I was taking that led me to this path. Do you think that he ever saw himself there? Do you think five years before that, on that journey, he said, this is where I'm going to head? No, absolutely not. And we see that verses 20 through 21 says that when God responds, it says they're not merely forgiven. I mean, if we were just forgiven of our sin, that would be amazing. But he says they are also healed by his word and his steadfast, or sometimes translated unfailing, love. And so this is a good reminder for us that believing the gospel does not only grant us forgiveness from our sin, but it also renovates the whole person, including the mind, the will, and the emotions. So I think about, we see a lot of home renovations in Portland. There's a lot of older homes. The home I'm standing in right now needs a lot of renovations. And you, so you think it's, God comes in and forgives our sin. That would be great. And we should praise God for that. But he renovates all of us, every single part of us. And then we finally see the fourth group, starting in verse 23. Those who are storm-tossed. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits. End. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And so here we have this fourth group. Now this is a group of sailors, and, and they, they're out sailing, and also they find themselves caught in a storm. And as this storm increased in its fury, it threatened them with shipwreck and drowning. And so what do they do? They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And God made the storm be still. And these people should thank the Lord because of his steadfast love, and they return to the promised land where they can extol God in the congregation. So I want you to think this morning of this last group. Is think of sea, uh, sea travel as a metaphor for life. Think about this as a metaphor for your life. There are days when we feel like we're in control. That we are in top of the world. And, and our sea craft is just cruising wherever we want it to go. We've got it this way or that way. And we take our own decision. It's like, this, this, I've got this thing. But then there's days... When that's happening, and all of a sudden a storm catches you by surprise. You, you get an email, you get a text message, you walk in on something you hadn't anticipated walking in on, you find out something, and your world just comes crashing down, and you suddenly realize how helpless you actually are as the waves rise and they crash all around us. Think about life's troubles, life's trials. They will sink us if we let them. If we're operating in our own strength, if this is just Matt and my, my sea craft and I'm just going around, I am going to sink every single time. But it tells us here that God is our haven in the storms. And so the New Testament reminds us that he helps us two ways. Sometimes, and I don't want you guys to mishear this, sometimes God will come in and he'll remove the storm. We see that in Mark chapter 4. And so God can do that. So whatever you're facing this morning, you can pray that. And God may remove it. But then we also see other parts in Matthew 14 that God enables people to walk through the storm. Walk through it specifically while they're looking to him for the answer. And so that might be you this morning. You might be in the midst of a storm, a trial, tribulation, or a pandemic. Hello, all of us. 
And this may be the most difficult thing that you've ever had to walk through. It likely caught you by surprise. You likely felt like, man, 2020. I was just, I was just thinking about this uh, yesterday. I thought 2020, we're going to kind of hit probably neutral cruise control. Like, we're going to keep going. And then there's just a number of things, even pre-pandemic, that I can say, wow, was I wrong about the outset of 2020. And here's the thing. God may remove that storm, and we can pray that way. But God may also enable you to walk through that storm as long as you're looking to him for the comfort and strength. And you know what else? He doesn't leave it just with him. I mean, that's great. Like, that's all you really need. But he's also giving you this, this body called the church to surround you and to help walk you through that storm that maybe caught you by surprise. The Lord may bring us to our wits end so we actually turn to him. Sometimes it, it takes that storm. Sometimes it takes that trial. Sometimes it takes that tribulation for us to actually turn back towards God and to posture our lives and hearts towards him. And such cries are often a means, sorry, such crises are often a means of God's grace to us. You've probably heard countless stories. You probably have some yourself where you say, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. But it was that moment, it was that situation, it was that scenario that caused me to turn back to the Lord. And so we kind of look big picture, it was God's grace on my life. We never know what the Lord may be doing in our trials. We may never know. And so right now I can hear some of you probably screaming internally going, God, what are you doing? I'm with you. I get it. I've gone through some things even in the last year that I'm just like, God, what are you doing right now? But just know that God is working. God is able to give us peace, which transcends all human understanding. And that's my prayer for you. And then finally, verses 33 through 43. See, I told you guys we're going to get through 43 verses. We're going to consider the great love of God. It says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through our oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The Lord vindicates himself through reversals. And so this section moves to reflect more generally about the reversals of God. Because think about these four situations, these four instances, these four pictures were reversals. These people, some of it was self-inflicted. Sometimes they were just out, out in a, on a sailboat. And all of a sudden they found themselves in a time of trouble and they could do nothing about it. And then we see God come in and he does this great reversal in order to display his own righteousness. And so God may take a pleasant and, and prosperous land and he may turn it into a waste of an evil inhabitants if he wants to. We see that some of the people were exiled at their own doing and it was kind of the punishment of the Lord. But then he may also reverse that judgment and make the land fruitful and pleasant again in his mercy to the hungry. We see in verses 39 through 41, they, they look at it from another angle. So when the people are diminished and brought low, God can humble their oppressors and raise up the needy. And so what this psalm does, this psalm is celebrate how God has faithfully fulfilled his, his promise to his people in Judah after exile. So the, the upright here is the faithful among God's people. They see it and are glad because God has vindicated his faithfulness to the people. And he has shut all wickedness out of their mouth for the same reason. 
Think about the Apostle Paul. He tells the Corinthian church that, about this ultimate gospel re uh, reversal. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And this is the great reversal that we all have benefited from. This reversal that none of us deserve forgiveness from our sins, and, and that we all deserve punishment, but Jesus took that on himself. So look back at verse 43 with me. Think about every stanza in this psalm, it's really a case study for God's love. Some brought trouble on themselves, the guilty and the self-damaged. Some did not, the homeless and the storm-tossed. So despite their very different circumstances, regardless what led to their troubles, the one common denominator here is God. That God came in, he rescued them, he delivered them, and he restored them. And so every time we see the people cried out to God, he heard their cry. And he responded to them by providing what they needed, community, forgiveness, healing, and a haven. So what does this teach us? What does this teach you this morning? The love of God is not earned. It is a gift of grace. You don't connect to God's love by your merits or your works. So you, you might be thinking, man, I need to do extra work during, during the shutdown so God will love me more. Like, no, that's not how it works. You don't connect to God's love by your quality of life. By saying, well, I'm just going to live with a very few things and give away all my money. That's not necessarily how it works. That may not be a bad idea to do that, but that, that's not going to get you any more of God's love. You connect to God's love and grace through depending on Him. You connect to God's love and grace by crying out to Him by prayer and saying, I recognize that I need you. And not only in this instance, I need you for all of life. Every single one of these groups have found themselves in some kind of trouble. They cried out to the Lord and He delivered them. And so as we wrap up this morning, may we collectively, as God's church, as his people, cry out to him for deliverance and whatever trouble it is that you're facing. Our churches, we, we have things that, that collectively we, we might be facing. You as an individual have something you might be facing. Your family, who's all sitting around the living room looking at each other right now, and you're thinking, yep, you might be facing something. And so let us cry out to the Lord for our deliverance. And so let these markers be the cry of your heart. Lord, save us from being caught up in our own pursuits so that we are not good neighbors to those where you have placed us. Lord, we praise you for your radical forgiveness when we find ourselves enslaved and enchained in our own pursuits and sinfulness. Lord, deliver us from the self-crippling effects of our own fears, our own self-pity, our anger, our self-consciousness, and discouragement. Lord, teach us to depend on you at all times, especially when the life storms catch us by surprise. And Lord, we praise you for your steadfast love, your unwavering kindness to us by your work on the cross and that by it you allow us to come to you with our needs and you hear us and you answer us. And so church, let me pray over you and then we're going to respond to Jesus in worship. God, we thank you for another morning that we can gather together as your church. God, this has been one of the oddest seasons that probably any of us have ever been with. God, this may not be the hardest trial that some people have watching have faced, but for some of us it might be. God, maybe a time that calls extra amounts of uncertainty, extra fears, extra stress, extra anxiety, whatever it is, God, if it's related to COVID-19, if it's related to their job or their marriage or their family or parenting or buying a house, whatever it is this morning, God, may this psalm remind us that we can cry out to you and that you hear your people and that in your loving kindness, and your unfailing love, you turn towards us, you hear us, and you deliver us. And so God, may we be reminded of that this morning. And God, may the song that we get ready to sing here in just a moment 
May that be the cry of our hearts and the prayer of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.